Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, let's welcome high school pastor Josh Alleman. When did it happen that Christianity went from these massive Jesus freaks to a person that calls himself a Christian because they warm up a seat on Sunday? When did it happen? As we continue in the B series, go with us now to Galatians chapter 6. Here's Pastor Josh. What's up, Grace New Hope? My name, yeah, all right. That's awesome. I'm not the only one excited. My name is Josh Alleman. Actually, my full name is Josue Aleman, but I go by Josh um, for obvious reasons. I was, uh, I was born in Havana, Cuba, and I was raised here in Atlanta. Couple. Oh my goodness, wow. I'm usually pretty alone with that one. I, uh, I'm married in, to that beautiful woman in the back, Jenna, on the left. Uh, prove that God loves me is the fact that I have that woman in my life. She is incredible. Some of you guys can say amen on that one, yeah? Yes. So we're going to talk about uh, a little Galatians, right? We've been there for a little bit. Galatians chapter 6, the last chapter, y'all. Yes. Verse 1 through 5. And uh, Paul immediately starts talking here about, uh, about being a good friend, about being that guy, you know, or that gal. And, uh, you know, there's some things you just need help on. You know, there's some things that you just can't do by yourself. I own uh, an old school Honda Civic, a 2000 Honda Civic, and uh, I like working on that thing, you know, every once in a while. I've changed a few things, you know, the alternator and the distributor, you know, things like that, thanks to the University of YouTube, (laughs) which I have my master's in. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty decent, I think, you know, every once in a while I, 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 you know, I do it. But one day my clutch went out. And I was like, yeah, I, I got this. You know, I, I can do the clutch. Why not? I've done everything else. So here I am uh, in bed the night before, and I'm, you know, doing the YouTube classes. And while I'm doing that, my wife looks over my shoulder, and she goes, um, you're going you're gonna to do that? And I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. I'm a man, you know. And she's like, are you sure? You have like a screwdriver and a hammer. Are you sure that's going to work? And I said, absolutely, I got this. She said, okay. So the next day, here I am, uh, working on my car, and I'm about hour 10 on a 30-minute job, right? There's car parts all over the front yard. I'm covered in oil from head to toe. I look like a scene from Braveheart, you know, with the face paint. I'm trying to stick my big hands inside that small engine compartment so I have bloody knuckles, and I'm to the point of frustration where you start crying a little bit. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, you got a single tear going down, you're like... I took it apart, and why doesn't it come back together, you know? And I'm just, I'm starting to lose it a little bit. You know, the neighbors are about to call the police. And uh, I start saying words that I promised God I wouldn't say like 10 years ago, you know? And my wife steps outside with a sweet tea. She's from the South. Sweetie, you, wanna, you, want, you want some sweet tea? You want to come inside for a second? And I said, sure, and I walk inside, you know, and I... I take all the oil off my body, and I sit there on the couch, and I'm like, I just don't get it, man. I, just, I took it apart. I can't put it back together. This is horrible. I see a couple of wives going, listen, listen. 
And she goes, Josh, don't you have a really good friend that you grew up with that's a master mechanic in Honda engines? <laughs> Doesn't he race them in like, you know, you know, he has like 10 of them? Maybe you should call him. <sighs> and I broke down. Sorry, man. I broke down. I did it. I called him. And he came over, and of course, with the right tools and equipment, in 30 minutes, he had the car back together. And here I am, you know, you know that just, that emotional feeling when somebody really hooks you up, you know, you're like, take my wallet, man, take the dog. Thank you so, dude, you, I feel like you saved my life. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what Paul's actually talking about in verse 1. Let's look at verse 1 and see what he says. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Dear brother and sister, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, who are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. Hmm. I think Paul's talking about two different people here, actually. I think he's talking about the helper and the helpee, right? I'm pretty sure helpee is not a word, but we're going to start with helpee. See, for you to be the helpee, for you to realize that you need help, you need to know it. See, there's a lot of things in this world that, that people believe, right, that it's okay to do until you have the Holy Spirit in you, and then you're like, maybe I shouldn't be doing that, you know? There's a lot of obvious ones. I know there's kids in the room. There's a lot of obvious ones, but then you all of a sudden accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're like, man, this thing that I've been doing for a long time, it's not the right thing to do. You know, you start having that doubt, you start having that feeling of going, oh no, God, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. So in other words, if you're committing a sin because you read the Bible and you say it's not right, but you don't have that guilt inside, maybe you should check yourself. Just saying. You know, sometimes you live in this sin and you're like, oh, that's wrong. I, I can't speak that way. See, that's great that you know the knowledge, but really, you should have the feeling first. What about the helper? Is there a big difference between the helpee and the helper? Honestly, I don't think so. You see, because you find out both by having a relationship with God. The closer you are with a relationship with God, the more you realize that you can be the helpee or the helper. See, in the helper, I love how it says gently and humbly. See, things are a little different, right? Things are a little different now that, that you have the Holy Spirit, right? Because at work, if somebody messes up, you're like, hey, man, what are you doing? You do that again, and you're fired. You're fired. See, now it's a little different now. See, now you have a little bit of compassion because of that Holy Spirit thing, right? And things change a little bit. I, I was in the military, and in the military, I picked up a few uh, bad habits, and have bad habits uh, turned into addictions. One specific addiction, I know that there's kids in the room, it was a visual one. And because I had this addiction, it's been many, many years, thank God, since, since I fought that, it took a long time to actually fight it. But uh, now I have a good group of guys that we call each other and keep each other accountable, Amen. which is a great thing. Amen. And every once in a while, I get the phone call, Josh, Bro, I, I messed up. I messed up. And immediately, the, the, the first thing that wants to come out of my mouth is, dude, are you stupid? What is wrong with you? How are you going to do this? 
I mean, we got God here. What is wrong with you? And then I remember the feeling. Oh, I, re- I remember the feeling of messing up and that, that guilt feeling of going, oh, God I'm, God, I'm so sorry. I really do love you. I really, really do. Oh, and immediately it, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And I say, bro, dude, I'm so sorry. I really am sorry. I know the feeling of disappointment and guilt. I get it for a long time. I get it. And even though you have lost this battle, man, I read the end of the book, bro. You, you, we're going to win the war. Amen. Amen. The war has been won, bro. Let's finish up verse one. It says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptations yourself. Mm. The same temptations yourself. Let me tell you something. Excuse me. You're never too good to stop getting closer to Jesus. Never. Even if you do realize that you're really, really close to Jesus, you never stop being human. Okay, so you must set your boundaries every day. Unfortunately, I've received the phone call. Josh, man, I messed up. What? What happened? I messed up, man. I sinned with my girlfriend. I can't believe this happened. Bro, are you kidding me? What happened, man? I can't believe that I was in her bedroom at 3 o'clock in the morning with the door locked. What? What are you doing there in the first place? Like, yeah, awesome. You have a great relationship with Jesus. That's great. That's great that he tells you what's right and wrong, but he also gave you a brain. Use it. There's a word for that. It's called common sense. It really is. If you have an eating problem, Golden Corral maybe ain't the best place to eat breakfast. They have received a lot of my money. Why? Because if I'm trying not to eat bad, maybe that's not the best place. See, you have to set your own boundaries. You have to realize who you are. You have to realize what your temptations are, and you need to fight against them. Yes, pray. He does answer. I promise you he does answer. But he also gives you a brain. You have to be strong. You have to be real. Verse 2. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. You want to obey the law of Christ? You got to share each other's burdens. I mean, right? You know, the definition of burdens, actually in the Greek dictionary, it doesn't, the, the word burden is actually like a problem. But in the Greek dictionary, it actually says each other's life. It's like an everyday life. We should all together be one. We should all together work with each other to be better, right? Now, I grew up at church. You all remember the sayings. Mm, Oh, son. (sighs) Just put it in God's hands. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. Mm. There's a tree that cut my house in half. Oh, you're in my thoughts. Oh, thank you for allowing me to be in your thoughts. Let me tell you something. If, if you're not thinking of me with a chainsaw in your hand, get me out of your thoughts. You know what I'm saying? A burden's a burden. If we're going to share burdens. We're going to share burdens. Yes, pray. Pray for each other. Absolutely. But if you need to pray for someone and actually throw them a bone, and you don't want to throw them a bone, you just decide just to pray for them, you're a praying lazy person. 
I mean, we got to help each other out. We got to share each other's burdens. There's a lot of things that we need to do with each other. We need, we are a family, aren't we? We have one father. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to share each other's burdens. We need to love on each other. Where's that love come from? I don't know. Maybe verse 22 on chapter five, when it talks about the fruit of the spirit. I mean, if you don't feel the fruit of the spirit, then that means you don't have a relationship with God, right? Because the closer you are by having a relationship with God, the more obvious your fruit is, right? So if this is a burden for you, hey, that's another one. If this is a burden for you, maybe you should check what your relationship with God looks like. It goes one way or the other, right? I'm a big uh, Dr. Tony Evans fan. Oof, I love, love to hear him preach. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, one, uh, one of his many sermons that I've heard. And he said, he goes, you know what? The fruit is made for somebody else to enjoy. Always. If you just buy a fruit for yourself, it, no, no, no. Your fruit is for someone else to enjoy. You know what a fruit that eats himself, you know what that's called? A rotten one. It's pointless. It's a pointless fruit. What is the point of having fruit that no one else can enjoy? What kind of a tree are you? It's true. You're a rotten one. I know that you feel God's love. That's great. But if you don't give God's love, well, I mean, hold on. If you don't give God's love, that shows the love that you feel for God. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Just That's not adding up. That doesn't make any sense. Verse 3. Oof, this one gets even deeper. Verse 3 says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. Listen, listen. You are not that important. Oh, that's a low blow. You're not that important? I'm going to give it to you in a Cuban street version. You ready? (laughs) Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Honestly, who do you think you are? You're telling me that you can figure out who Jesus is and not have a relationship with him? Who do you think you are? You think somebody's special or something? Let me tell you something. Without God, without Jesus, you are nothing. Period. You are nothing without Jesus. The only value that you have is the value that God gave you. Period. Now, I know there's a few people here that have like big degrees. Hey, that's awesome. I, I, have, I have seven doctorates and so-and-so Harvard. And, dude, that's great. I, I couldn't do that. I really can't. I mean, I'm going to Gwinnett Tech, and I cry myself to sleep every night. There's no, like, I, I, like I, I don't get it. Like, I can't, I can't do that. I wish I could. I really wish I could. Um, but let me tell you something. If you work for a big corporation, okay, and I saw this a lot in the military, if you work for a big corporation or a big business, if you die, God forbid, before they put you in the ground, somebody else's butt's going to be on your seat. You're just a number in this world. And there's a good chance that that butt in that seat's probably going to do it better than you. You're just a number. Outside of Jesus, you are nothing. The only one that gives you value is God. And he proved it by giving his son Jesus for you. 
Mm. When did it happen, church? When did it happen that Christianity went from these massive Jesus freaks to a person that calls himself a Christian because I warm up a seat on Sunday? When did it happen? When, when did it happen? It, it just it doesn't make sense to me. How, how could this be? How can this be? You know, if... If, okay, you might argue with me. We can argue later. That's fine. This is my opinion. It's not in the Bible. It's just all me, okay? If the only time that you speak to God or worship or read the Bible in this room, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm sorry. You don't. There's no way. There's no way. If I spoke to my wife once a week for an hour, we wouldn't be married. It's a relationship, ain't it? If the only time that you have a relationship with God is sitting on that seat, you do not have a relationship with Jesus. You don't. And plus, if, if, if you're using me to have a relationship with Jesus, holy cow, don't. You're going to trust one person for you to have a relationship with God? You don't have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with me having a relationship with God, but you don't have a relationship with God. You just don't. God, God wants a relationship with you. He died for your sins. He thought of your name. While he was hanging on that cross, he said, you, I want to die for you because I love you. I want, I want you to have a chance to go to heaven. We chose sin and he chose love. We turn our back on him and he chose grace. What is our excuse? Church, who do, who do you think you are? Who in the world do you think you are that you're going to put somebody else between you and your relationship with God? Church, we've got to fight for that. We've, we've missed that. This is supposed to be your, your dessert, man, your appetizer and dinner. It needs to be at the house with your family, on your face, with your kids. The time is, come on, church, the time is now. We need to do that. Mm. We chose sin. And he chose love. What is our excuse not, not to be on our knees every night and in the Bible every day? What is our excuse? Verse 4. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Man. There's no satisfaction like Jesus. There's no satisfaction like having communication with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Man, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And... Like my old platoon sergeant just say, the, the proof is in the pudding. There is hundreds of millionaires killing themselves every day. Every day. There was an article that came out in uh, China today. And there were, it was crazy about how many millionaires were fighting their whole lives, destroying their whole families to get this millionaire status. And when they get there, a large percentage or die of a heart attack or kill themselves. There's no satisfaction like Jesus. 
There is no satisfaction like Jesus. There isn't. Now, I'm a youth pastor. I'm never going to be a millionaire. Maybe in heaven. But I can tell you one thing. I wouldn't trade my best day without Jesus than my worst day with him. And I've been to a lot of places in life. Not even close. Not even close. I've been in charge of some awesome stuff, but nothing comes close than a high schooler telling me, hey, Josh, tell me more about this Jesus. Not even close. Ain't no paycheck that can cover that. Ain't no paycheck that can cover that. Verse 5. We're almost done. I'm quick. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Oof. Sounds like the ball's in your court. Yeah. Back to who do you think you are? I mean, hey, congratulations, man. You punched your ticket. You're going to heaven. Hey, that's great. It really is. That's great. That's awesome. But you have no idea that this relationship that you have with God, you can have, you, you can have heaven on earth. You don't have to wait to go to heaven. You can feel that now. You can feel his presence just like you can feel his presence in heaven. You can feel his warmth, his love. You can watch him change people, change nations. We, heaven on earth is real. Church, the ball is on your court. You, you, you tell me what you want to do with this. And there's going to be a day. Oh, there's going to be a day when I, when we are looking at Jesus. I get emotional even thinking about it. You imagine that, that day? Man, like, not like, G no, like King Jesus, like the, like Jesus in front of you. And you're looking into those fire eyes, man, you know? And you don't have to explain nothing to him. He's looking at you and he knows everything. He knows your sins. He knows your struggles. He knows your issues. He knows everything in life. He knows all the times that you closed the Bible and didn't open it or open the Bible and kept it open. He, he knows everything, and he's looking at you, and you walk up to him, and you don't have to explain nothing. This ain't court, brother. He knows you. You know, he knows you. What do you think he's going to tell you? Oh, man, I, you know, I thought about that a lot. Like, is he going to say, man, Josh, you've been fighting that same addiction a long time, bro. Or is he going to say, man, I, come, my faithful servant, brother, come on in? Or is he going to say, oh, that's great. That's great you went to church so many years. I have no idea who you are. Man, how is it? How is it, church, that we have this ability to, to have this relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and sometimes we turn our backs to it? Ball's in your court. You decide. He can't love you more. <laughs> He's already given everything for you. It's your decision on how you want this relationship to be. And with that relationship affects each other. How we love on each other. How we carry each other's burden. Yeah, I've been a Christian for a while now. And I've, 
I've done a lot of mission work. I've knocked on a lot of doors and I've passed out a lot of tracks. But there's no better way than getting people to Jesus than with love. Just loving on people. Because that fruit, it's so addictive. It's so, man, they just want it. It's very obvious. Worship team, Kona. I, uh, uh, like I said, I was Cuban. I'm, I'm Cuban. And my, was. I'm white now. I, just, I, I got here when I was five. I don't even have an accent. My, uh, my grandfather, his name was uh, Cirilo Aleman, and he, uh, in 64, in Cuba, they, uh, they passed some laws saying that you cannot have an a organized church. It's illegal. So they quickly arrested a bunch of pastors, uh, one of them being my grandfather. And they took him to prison. They actually um, they accused him of espionage. Yeah, that's communism for you. And um, he goes to prison, and they pass this rehabilitation course that if you pass this rehabilitation course, you can get out early. And most of the pastors did it, actually. And a few of them, including my grandfather, said, rehabilitate what? I don't need to rehabilitate nothing. The first thing in my life is that I am a son of God, and everything else comes second, including you. So no, I'm rehabilitating nothing. So because of that, they split those pastors. There were about seven pastors or so. They split them, and they took them to different granjas. Granjas are, uh, were communist concentration camps. And he was there for about six years. And he would go to these concentration. He, he would, they would move him around, because each time he would go there, um, him being the only Christian, he would build a church. <laughs> yeah. And then they would move him somewhere else. And then he would do it again. And each time he would get caught with any type of Bible or preaching or anything like that, they would punish him. And they would put him in these heat boxes. There were six by two. And they would put him there with very little clothes on with about six or seven other men. And then leave him there in the hot sun in Cuba for about a week or so. And he would get out completely dehydrated, very close to death. He would drink a little water. And they'd do it again. And he would get caught again, and they would do it again. It was this constant thing of torture and beating and very little food. And you know, I remember him telling me the stories. I was, I'm, I was really, really close to my grandfather. And I remember him telling me the stories. And, and he, would, he would speak about this in love, and I would be angry. Right? And of course, every once in a while, I would ask that question. Abuelo, don't you just want to, like... Maybe wait till they turn around and hit him with a brick or something? Like, don't you have a little bit of anger? I mean, these, this government took everything from you. They split your family. They split your, I mean, just, they changed everything. They removed everything from you. And you, you speak of this with love. Like, how, how can you not have remorse? How can you not be angry at this? <laughs> I remember, like, if it was yesterday, he looked at me and he said, Josh, or Josue, you, uh, you, I can't explain it to you, man. I just can't. Even if I explain it to you, your heart is too angry to understand. 
But maybe one day I'll be able to explain it to you. Thanks. Some, uh, some years passed, and uh, I had a great uncle that passed away in, uh, in Miami. So we went down to Miami, and each time we were in Miami, I was attached to him. Uh, my grandfather and I were really, really close. And he, we were walking in this funeral home, and I'm hanging out with him the whole time. And this gentleman comes up to him and looks at him. He goes, Cirilo de Sardinas, which is his full name. Nobody ever calls him that. And he said, yes, sir, what can I do for you? And he goes, you don't remember me? No, I, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't remember you. I was in 65, I was in a concentration camp for being a political prisoner, and we were cellmates. Man, and they start hugging and crying, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the best thing I've ever seen. These, you know, old Cuban dudes just, you know, they're kissing each other in the cheek, and they're just, they're crying together. And they kept on putting their foreheads together, and oh, it was awesome. I'm standing there going, man, this is, this is incredible. I've never seen this before. And this guy tells me, he goes, mm, sir, I've been looking for you all my life. What? All my life I've been looking for you. That day, he told me about Jesus. I never forgot it. I really was listening. When they were dragging you out of that cell, I was listening. I was listening. See, and because of what you told me, Jesus not only changed my life, he changed my wife, my kids, my grandkids, and my great-grandkids. He's right. He didn't have to explain it to me. He wiped his tears and he looked at me and he went, I got you. I get it. See, because the relationship that he has with God or had with God, it would reflect so much on others that he was willing to be tortured to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. Now, I don't know what, what Jesus told him when he got to heaven, but I hope he tells me the same thing. <laughs> that's what I'm going to fight for. Church, that's what we should fight for. Let's do it. And Heavenly Father, we, uh, we ask for your guidance. Lord God, we, you've already shown us that we're nothing without you. You've already shown us, Lord, that there's there's nothing in this world that can compare to your love. And there's no love like, like you give and like our brothers and sisters give to each other because you love us. Lord, thank you so much for that. Thank you for uh, allowing us to have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's nothing like the Father's love. Thanks for joining us. I'm Myrna Brown.